Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Any Star Trek fans? We have any Star Trek fans this, this morning? I'm t- and I'm talking specifically about uh, the old school ones, like your old guy like me. You remember the old series? Uh, all the new movies are great, but there's nothing like uh, the original Trekkies. I'm an original, an original Trekkie. Uh, and remember what what Captain Kirk would always say before every episode? Remember, space, the final frontier. And, and it would always give us a chill a little bit, you know. And it's really true. And you've been, if you've been following the pictures on your news feeds from the Webb Telescope, James Webb, James Webb Telescope, is that what it's called? These, these incredible pictures that we've been seeing this week of the far reaches of the universe. It's really spectacular. But there's another frontier that's just as mysterious and really just as harsh uh, to, uh, to human folk who might try to go there um, as space, and it's much more accessible. It's much closer. Well, I say that. It's not accessible to most people. Only 23 have ever been there, and that is at the very bottom of the deepest part of the Mariana Trench, which is in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean near Guam. Uh, there's a there's a particular part of it called Challenger Deep, and in Challenger Deep, which is the deepest part of the Mariana Trench, it's it's thirty six thousand feet below sea level. To put that in perspective, if Mount Everest were sitting at the bottom of Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench, the peak of Mount Everest would still be one point two miles below the surface of the water. <laughs> it's, it's deep. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's a very harsh place for any critter other than the ones God made, especially to live down there. But 23 people have gone, including Dawn Wright, who just went on July 12th. She went down there with a guy named uh, Victor Vescovo, and, which almost sounds like a Tennessee basketball player, not Victor Vescovi. That's a different Victor. Victor Vescovo, who actually piloted, if you will, the submersible that took him down there. But they went down there. She's involved in a project to map the ocean floor. They've, they've only been able to successfully map about 20% of it. And so we can learn so much while we're down there mapping the ocean floor and learning more and more about the critters that live down there and how they live down there under all that pressure. How much pressure? I'll tell you. They, she was asked in the interview that I read, were you afraid to go down there? And she said, well, you know, the pressure at 36,000 feet below the surface of the water is 16,000 pounds per square inch for perspective. That is over a thousand times more pressure than at sea level that we're experiencing right here. Over a thousand times more pressure. The water, of course, is right at the freezing level down there, and it is the pitchest pitch dark that there could ever be anywhere other than perhaps in deep space. 
So she said, yes, you know, that gets your attention. And especially if something were to go wrong. If something were to go wrong with the submersible, she said that the implosion, if something were to happen, there would be the slightest little crack or tear in the hull. There would be an implosion that would kill them in a nanosecond. And a nanosecond is one billionth of a second. So you're not going to have a lot of time to react if anything goes wrong. It's just going to be all over. But she said, I'm not afraid because I trust the technology and I trust Victor to know how to operate it. And because of that trust she had in something that was so mysterious and so dangerous, seemingly, um, she was willing to plunge even into those depths. Now, with that in mind, uh, we're going to talk about more of the crazy stuff Jesus said today, and we're going to talk about his statement that we should not be afraid of death, which is so counterintuitive to most of us. Most of us are very much afraid of death. We have a name for it. I had to go, had to look to remind myself what it is. Thanatophobia. You ever heard of that one? Thanatophobia is the fear of death. And we all fear death to varying degrees. And, and of course we're afraid of death because, because nobody's done it and come back to really have much to say about it. I know there've been a few books written about following the light and all that. And I don't know about that. May, that those, all, those all may be absolutely true. I have, have no idea. But nobody's really come back and been able to say, yeah, it was exactly like this. We just don't know. What's it going to be like? What will we see? Will we know anything? What, you know, it's a mystery. It's a, it's a great mystery. And I, I did a little research this, work, this week to figure out just how afraid of death we are and, and are some people more or less afraid of death than others? Because let's face it, we all have a little fanatophobia in us. And I found out that people who are older fear death less than people who are younger. People who are healthier tend to fear death less than people who are not quite as healthy. In both cases, uh, you know, there's not much you can do about that a lot of the time. It's just kind of the way it is. I did learn that, and these are some psychologists that had done these studies, that, that persons who have a pretty deep faith, in other words, people who go to church fairly regularly, pray, maybe read scripture, have, an, have a relationship with God, um, they tend to fear death less than persons who have no faith or persons who just have a nominal faith. Persons with no faith or persons with a nominal faith, meaning, hey, maybe I think about it some, maybe pray every now and then, maybe go to church occasionally. Their, their fear of death is about the same, much higher than people of deeper faith. That seems intuitive. But the biggest contributing factor to how much we fear death or don't fear death is the quality of our attachments. Psychology word for relationships. Persons with, with healthy, strong relationships tend to not be as afraid of death as persons without them. And I say all of that to say that it involves how we live our life. And here is something that I want us to start with that I think we can say is true. How we live life will impact how we face death. We may not know anything about it, but we can learn how to approach it, to approach it more confidently. Will Ro Mark Twain it was, sorry to say Will Rogers. Mark Twain said, and this is great, the fear of death follows from the fear of life. A person who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. And you know, 
I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think Jesus would think there's a lot to be said for that. And in fact, let's see what Jesus has to say about it because we have this passage from Luke chapter 12 that I want to set up for just a minute before I read his words. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They're teaching, they're preaching, they're healing. The Pharisees, and remember Pharisees, that's kind of code for the Jewish religious professionals who were intimidated and really afraid of Jesus because of the gathering that was following him. He was gathering a pretty good following uh, and they were afraid of their power base. They didn't like that he was adding some things to the law that they thought should never be added to. Jesus, of course, just expanded it to make it more impactful. And he was, as he explained all these things, he was bringing the kingdom of God. He was, he was showing us what that's going to look like in the world. The Pharisees didn't like that. So they were antagonizing Jesus at every turn and had threatened Jesus. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's reminding them that, that yeah, they threatened me and they're going to threaten you. And then he says these words to them. I tell you, my friends, this is from Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 4. And by the way, if you have a Bible, underline or highlight my friends, because that's really big. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. Hang on, tighten your seatbelt. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who has, after the killing of the body, the power to throw you into hell. Yes, Jesus is talking about hell. He talked about it more than just this place. Yes, I tell you to fear him. But then he just makes a hard right or a hard left, whichever the case may be, and he changes direction and he says this. It's all part of the same passage. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? It's probably what it would cost you to buy sparrows if you were at the temple and wanted to make a sacrifice. Remember, when Jesus was here, they were still doing sacrifices in the temple. And if you couldn't afford a goat or a ram or a bull or, or something like that, you could buy five sparrows for two pennies and do your sacrifice. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And this all sounds contradictory in a way, but it's really not. I want to talk about it. Let's pray first. Almighty God, these are your words, not ours. And so we pray that the same Holy Spirit that empowered Luke to write would empower us to hear so that we don't back down, but that we actually hear the truth you have for us and find truth, good news for our living in this story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, my friends, he had never called his disciples friends before up until this point. And what I found was interesting this week as I did some research is that in the Greco-Roman culture, which was the predominant culture by this time in Jerusalem, remember Jerusalem used to be the holy city and there, was only, there were only basically Jewish people there, or certainly the culture was Jewish, even though there were others around. But since Rome had overtaken Jerusalem, um, it was, a, it was a, a distinctly Greco-Roman culture. And in that culture, 
To be a friend, it had a political sort of connotation. To be a friend of Caesar, to be a friend of any government officials meant you were part of an inner circle and that you were uh, subject to their protection. Think of the Godfather. When the Godfather, if you've ever seen that movie, and he's having that very first conversation with, with the guy who turns out to be the undertaker who comes to see him and he wants a favor from the Godfather. And the Godfather says, if you, if you are faithful to me, if you'll, be, if you'll pledge your allegiance to me, I will take care of you. And he says, your enemies become my enemies. That's, that's kind of what this, that Jesus was not the Godfather. He wasn't a gangster. But that's kind of the idea. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, your enemies are now my enemies. You're in my sphere of influence. I've got you forever. They didn't understand that at that time. But he was trying to give them confidence as they went out into the world. And then he tells them something that, that sounds funny, but it, it's very poignant, actually. Whenever he's talking to him about the Pharisees, he says, this is right before where we picked up, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. The yeast of the Pharisees. Well, what is yeast? Yeast is, is of course, we know it's a leavening agent, and you can take just a little bit of yeast, and it will uh, then penetrate and transform a large amount of dough. So it doesn't take very much to create this transformation. And he was saying, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. In other words, beware of their ability to influence you and other people. And here's what he called the yeast of the Pharisees, hypocrisy. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Not to get too bogged down in, English, in, in language lessons today, because I'm no Greek scholar, but I do know that our word for hypocrisy comes from a word that was used uh, in, in the theater in those days. It, it talks about, it has to do with being an actor and wearing a mask. Sometimes an actor might play two or three different roles in a play. And so they would just put on a different mask, which would then identify them as this person or that person. So the idea of hypocrisy is being someone you're not. And so he was talking about how the Pharisees, they stroll around all the time. Oh, oh, we love God and we're men of God and we follow the law. But they treat people badly. They treat people in a way that is counter to the law. And so that's how Jesus said they were being hypocrites. But get, hang on now. Jesus flips this. And what he's warning his disciples about is kind of a reverse hypocrisy. He is warning them that when you get out here serving, especially after I'm gone, and he was, I'm sure he had the cross in mind. Well, I'm, I don't want to be sure of anything Jesus thought, but I think he probably did. You know, he was going to be gone. They're going to be left to carry the gospel out into the world. He didn't want reverse hypocrisy going on. In other words, he didn't want them being intimidated by the Pharisees or others and suddenly going, like, like Peter would do. If, if you remember anything about the story when Jesus is arrested before his crucifixion and Peter follows him into this courtyard and they take him back into this mockery of a trial and Peter's out there and Peter's like, Lord, I'll follow you to the death. And Jesus says, yeah, you'll deny you even know me. You know, well, he did. And that's, that's what he's talking about. There's reverse hypocrisy. When somebody came up and said, you, you, you were with Jesus. And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the guy. Three times he did that. That's exactly what Jesus is warning them about. He wants them to be on guard against 
turning their back on kingdom values and living like everybody else just because they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. And so he makes this point, yes, yes, the Pharisees may have you killed, but all they can do is do that. But there's more to life than that. And, and I don't believe he's threatening them as much as he's just giving them a heads up and reminding them God is the one who will decide what happens after death. He can throw you into hell. He's not saying to them that he will. He's saying that he can. He has that kind of authority. So you need to live for him in the world. Live those kingdom values out. Don't let anybody intimidate you out of that. And while most of us would never face persecution, now people in all other parts of the world are, even as we speak right now, but there are opportunities that we will have to stand for kingdom values in a group of people that may make it uncomfortable for us. We might be in a group of people at work or at the gym or, or at school or someplace else, and, and somebody starts talking about some group of people. You know, we love to talk about people that we don't understand or people who are different from us. Well, you know those people. You know how they always do. You know what I'm talking about here. Could be any number of different people. And we have an opportunity then. We can either be intimidated and go, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Or we can stand up for kingdom values and say, well, yeah, you know, but they're just people. And, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to do their best. And, and whatever situation they're in may be difficult. And, and I, think, I think we're called to just try to, try to help them, try to understand them. I mean, that would be what Jesus would say. So he's trying to get us to not fall victim to this reverse hypocrisy where suddenly we forget that we follow him in the world. And the idea is that God is the God of life and death and he's in control of the whole thing. And lest we start letting our mind run away with is it going, you mean if I'm not perfect? You mean, you mean if I don't stand up for people, if I, don't, if I don't represent kingdom values in the world, God's going to send me to hell? No. No, I'm not saying that. Jesus is trying to make a point, though, about how important it is to live those values out. Heaven and hell are determined by faith in Jesus Christ, period. End of report. We can't get higher up into heaven or lower down. You know, we either are or we aren't. We either, we either identify with Jesus or we don't. And he'll take care of all that. In fact, to show you just how gracious God is about all this, then now, now we're going to turn the page and take that second part of the passage. Yes, God, Jesus wants us to live our life for him, representing kingdom values in the world all the time. And then he reminds us of this. Just as Jesus turned water into wine, he's about to turn fear into trust. Because you got to know those disciples when he said that were like, holy cow, Jesus. I, I'm not sure we can do that. But Jesus then says... I tell you, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, there might be a couple of us in here today who know how many hairs are on their head. None. But I don't know if they're, I haven't looked closely to see. Most of us don't know the answer to that question. Never thought about it. God does. You know why? Because he loves you that much. He knows every fine detail about you and about your life. And, you're, and sometimes when we think about that, sometimes when I think about it, I'm going, oh, no, everything? 
oh, no, surely not everything. Surely not that time 20 years ago or, I don't know, last week. Yes. And yet he died for you anyway. It's good news there. So he's saying, you know, sparrows, sparrows are worth practically nothing in terms of monetary value, but they're important to God. And think about how much more important you are than the sparrows. So you have to take all of this as a balance. And what Jesus is actually saying is, you don't really have to be afraid. God loves you. And we know now that it is that simple faith in in Jesus that, that puts us on the right side of God that way. And if we mess up, okay, we mess up. We'll do better tomorrow. We can try. But we live those values out in the world and people see that we trust God. And that's the connection with Don Wright who went to the depths. When we find ourselves in the depths of life, we can trust God. We can trust him with that. You know, she said, I trust the technology and I trust the one operating it. I know, go work with me here for a minute. I'm pushing this a little. But God invented the most amazing technology 2,000 years ago on what we call Easter, and there was resurrection. We no longer had to fear death because we know Jesus came to just show us what life after death looks like on this side of the Jordan River for a few days. Well, for about 40 days, I think he was here. However long he was here before he went back to heaven, he just gave us a glimpse of what that life would look like. Then he went back to just let us see there was. So God, Jesus perfected that technology. He knows how it works. He can operate it, if you will. Just bear with me through a really labored metaphor. Resurrection is our promise from God that he's got us. And the more we build that relationship and trust with him, the more we will trust the technology and the one who's operating it, right? Remember I mentioned that the ones who have strong um, attachments, strong relationships, psychologists say are the ones who fear death the least. Well, imagine, imagine what a strong relationship with God is like. And he already knows everything there is to know about you. The part about knowing every hair on your head, he knows. He knows you like the back of his mighty right hand. And he loves you to pieces. And what he wants you to do is get to know him. He wants that relationship because here's the deal. Relationships grow as trust grows. And God wants you to trust him with your life and your death. He knows you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to trust him so that we can get plunged into the depths. Even if something terrible happens to us, God's got us. And this whole part about living kingdom values out, that's another way that we find confidence. The best way for us to prepare for the kingdom in heaven is to represent the kingdom on earth. It's kind of a rehearsal. Our praise and worship in here on Sunday morning, it's a rehearsal for what we'll hear in heaven. Our life every day is a rehearsal for what life will be like one day in heaven. You know, I... We've had several funerals in the last few days. There's just been a, kind of been a spurt of them. And, and now in 29 years that I've been serving the church, I've done a bunch of them. And I've, 
I've had the, 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 the honor, in my opinion, the sacred honor of being with people as they took their last breath. And I have, and there have been a lot of them. I have never, I have not met one person, one Christian, who's ever been on their deathbed or in their death chair, and some of the circumstances were dying, knew they were dying, death only perhaps minutes away. I never met one that was freaking out. They had, they had put their trust in God. They knew that he would have them no matter what. And they were just relaxed and at peace. I remember when my mom died, just before she closed her eyes and she slept for a while before she finally drifted off to heaven. But I kissed her cheek. And said, I love you, mom. And she said, well, I love you, son, and smiled. Well, she knew. I mean, she'd already said she had seen our dad, who'd been dead several years before, standing in the corner waiting for her. And she wasn't hallucinating. And I've heard that. I've seen that happen many times where people start getting this sense of what's coming. And that's God. That's God saying, here we come on, I got you. I know, I know, yeah, I know. This is the end. But it's actually just the beginning. I've never seen anybody freaking out. Because they trust, they've lived a life that has built trust in God such that they can be at peace even when they're about to go on the other side of the river. He is the God of this life. He is the God of the next life. All he's asking is that we will represent, if we're going to claim faith in his son, which I hope we all have, all he's asking is that we represent him in the world. Live that out now. Live those kingdom values out. And we'll be ready when we're called home, whenever that is. I hope it's a long time for all of us. We don't know. But the one thing I do know is God understands the technology. He knows how it works. He's got resurrection down pat. And we'll all experience it through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, how we thank you for your great faithfulness. Faithfulness in this life and faithfulness to carry us to life in the next. Whatever that is. And we can't imagine. So what we want to focus on right now, God, is what we can do on this side of the Jordan River to show people that you would love them too and that you want us to live by your kingdom values where all people are cherished and honored and loved unconditionally. And that we can do our best to establish that in our sphere of influence. That we're not influenced in the wrong direction. That we continue to rep your kingdom wherever we are. With confidence that one day when the time comes, you will scoop us up, carry us across the Jordan to a life eternal. Thank you, Lord, for your great promise in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. 
Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.